This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Nonsense mutations, genetic mutation that abruptly halts the construction of a specific protein before it's complete, underlines a wide range of rare genetic diseases. Elox Pharmaceuticals is developing therapeutics that address this type of error by restoring production of the complete protein. We spoke to Bob Ward, CEO of Elox, about nonsense mutations, the company's library of small molecule compounds that target the protein production mechanism, and why this approach may offer a way to get at hundreds of rare diseases. Bob, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity to participate on Rarecast. We're going to talk about nonsense mutations, the role they play in rare diseases, and Elox Pharmaceuticals' efforts to target certain genetic diseases. Let's start with nonsense mutations, though. What are these? Well, Daniel, as you know, when we make proteins, the amino acids form into a protein by translation of messenger RNA, which is the coding gene that's in our, our underlying gene pool that directs which proteins we make. There's a number of different changes to our genes that can impact our ability to make protein. One of them is the group called nonsense mutations. What happens is a single base pair change in the coding region of a gene stops the ribosome, and when the ribosome stops, instead of making protein, our nucleic acids are degraded and the messenger RNA gets chopped up due to nonsense-mediated decay. So with our small molecules, we help the ribosome insert an amino acid into that position where the premature stop total was, so that the protein can be made and an individual is able to express a protein that's essential for biologic functioning. How broadly implicated in rare diseases are nonsense mutations? Well, it's really interesting, Daniel. Uh, whether it's oncology or rare or ultra-rare genetic diseases, or many of the genetic diseases that are household names, cystic fibrosis, cystinosis, Duchenne, the list goes on and on. In almost every population, somewhere between 1 out of 10 and 1 out of 6, or potentially as high as 1 out of 3 individuals, their underlying change in the gene is one of these premature stop codons that halts protein production. And in many cases, 
when you halt protein production, that results in the most severe form of these rare diseases. And the reason why that's so important is today, the vast majority of these 1,800 human diseases do not have approved drugs to treat the underlying nonsense mutation. Ewox has licensed a library of molecules that target a very specific binding site in the cell's ribosome. What's the role of the ribosome? If you pictured um, messenger RNA as a piece of string, when the gene is first spliced together to make the messenger RNA, we've probably heard about open reading frames, and they're put back-to-back to make messenger RNA, and each place there's a junction, a cluster of proteins is formed right when we first make the messenger RNA. As the ribosome slides down that message for the first time in what's called the pioneering run, it knocks off all these proteins at the exon junctions and synthesizes the protein as it moves down that messenger RNA string. So as I mentioned earlier, a premature stop codon causes the ribosome to hesitate, and then it falls off the messenger RNA, and the messenger RNA is degraded. So we know, because of bio, um, natural biology, that molecules that are most commonly used for antibiotics have been discovered in nature that impact the ribosome. So if you think of an aminoglycoside antibiotic, when we take it, it kills the bacteria by halting protein production. The reason why we can take it safely is our ribosome is different enough from the bacterial ribosome that we don't have a halt in production. But many of the side effects relate to how these um, interact with our ribosome and our mitochondria, the energy-making organelle in our cells. So to make a read-through agent, we focus in on the structure that binds to our cytoplasmic ribosome with reduced activity at the mitochondria. And these molecules are no longer antibiotics because the binding to the bacterial ribosome is really uh, substantially reduced. But by focusing on the human cytoplasmic ribosome, we can stabilize the ribosome's addition site so when it hesitates at a premature stop codon, it gives the transfer RNA a chance to insert an amino acid and enable the protein to be made. Given that you're targeting something within the cell rather than on the cell surface, how challenging is that to deliver your medicines to their intended targets? Or are you just exploiting a well-understood mechanism for doing that? Well, you're right, Daniel. Uh, the chemistry of aminoglycosides is very well known. We've used aminoglycosides for human drugs for over 70 years. So when Dr. Timor Bassoff at the Technion Institute began to explore the medicinal chemistry space around that scaffold, he basically removed some of the rings found in the scaffold and replaced them with other structures so that he could reduce the impact on the mitochondrial ribosome while preserving 
the ability to stabilize the, the human cytoplasmic ribosome. So I think the reason why the library possesses such an attractive profile is because there was so much established science to work with in terms of creating this whole library of, of compounds. As you've noticed, there's a, a wide range of genetic diseases where nonsense mutations are at play. How do you prioritize the indications you're pursuing? Well, it's um, the case that in many of these rare diseases, the development path has been established by companies that have pioneered treatments within the disease. So if we look at cystic fibrosis, for example, about one out of six patients have one or more nonsense mutations. Five out of six patients do not have a nonsense mutation. They have other genetic changes in the same protein. So Vertex pretty much pioneered the development path with Kaleidico and showed why focusing in on the mutation G551B enabled them to run a development program with pretty established endpoints that met with regulatory acceptance. And since then, the drug now is used in a wider patient profile. But similar to the Kaleidico model, we're following G542X, a nonsense mutation that's found in about 5% of the patients in the cystic fibrosis um, population. That'll be the core focus for development. We do expect that over time, we would generate data to show that the ELXO2 could be used in a wider number of patients with different genotypes. But focusing on G542X and following many of the, the paths carved by Kaleidico, we think is a reason why it's an area to focus in on because the regulatory path is understood. The patient population we're focusing in today, there are no approved drugs for nonsense mutation. And the unmet medical need is well understood. So that gives us a place to work with the, the boundaries or the hurdles or what, what represents success is well known. That makes it easier uh, to do rapid drug development. Your lead candidate, ELXO2, is, is in development for both cystic fibrosis and cystinosis. Are these conditions related, or are these nonsense mutations just identical in these conditions? Well, it's an example of an essential protein that when it's missing, a disease state occurs. In cystinosis, there's a transporter that all of us have in our cells, and it helps take cysteine, which is a, a compound that we produce every day as part of normal metabolism, and transport it through the cell. If the transporter is missing, it accumulates in the cells, and if you look at electron micrographs, you can actually see crystals of cysteine that form. So for patients where nonsense mutations are preventing the production of this transporter protein, read-through technology should allow people to reproduce the transporter, and then it gets inserted at the right location in the cell to restore the transport function. So just as in cystic fibrosis, there's a chloride channel that's missing. In cystinosis, it's a cysteine channel that's missing. Where are you in clinical development of ELXO2, and what do you know about it from the work you've done to date? Well, we're very pleased that we've progressed rapidly for completion of what are called our IND enabling studies. And this is all of the 
preclinical profiling that's submitted to the regulatory agents, uh, both the FDA here and the European Medicines Agency or other regulators around the world, that allows them to evaluate whether the drug is ready for clinical trials. Now, in healthy volunteers, we've completed a phase one dose ranging study where we've looked across a range of doses to determine if it showed that it was safe in, in healthy volunteers. That data has not yet been submitted to a regulator, but the study itself has been complete. And then our phase 1B, which is multiple ascending dose, so this again is healthy volunteers who are now exposed to the drug for a longer period of time. That trial is currently ongoing, and to date we're very encouraged because we've not seen any serious adverse events or any drug-related impact on hearing or on the kidney, which would have been um, observed if it wasn't aminoglycoside. So once we've changed the molecular structure, the data we've generated to date have been very encouraging that the molecules have the right profile. So this year, we're seeking regulatory approval to initiate a phase two trial in cystic fibrosis and a phase two trial in cystinosis. ELX02 has orphan drug designation from the FDA and EMA for MPS type one and, and the FDA has also granted an orphan drug designation for Rett syndrome. Is it correcting the same fault in all of these diseases, and is the expectation that it will be applicable to a much broader range of diseases? Um, we know that when essential proteins are crippled or missing because of sense mutations, that numerous disease states arise. Uh, we believe read-through has the potential to be applied to a number of these different disease states. Uh, today, our clinical focus is on cystic fibrosis and cystinosis. This year, we expect to go back to our library of compounds and select another compound to move towards IND-enabling studies in a new rare disease population. So this year, we'll start a new program around that. We do think that across the range of human diseases, that there will be a group of diseases where there's a nonsense mutation that has a sufficient number of patients for a clinical development program and where the regulators have helped us understand that there's a clear path for development and it's understood what level of improvement would be clinically significant. So as we look at different disease states, we're really looking for the opportunities to make a difference clinically in areas where the development path is understood. It always gets a little dangerous when I try to discuss biology, but in, in terms of the nonsense mutations, I, I, I take it the error can occur in, in one of three places in the gene. Is that correct? Um, well, really, in each um, gene, there's a codon, which is three nucleotides, that the transfer RNA carrying the amino acid binds to. So the three nucleotides represent one amino acid. So a premature stop codon happens when one of the three nucleotides changes, and so the transfer RNAs no longer match up with the three nucleotides, and that would be a premature stop codon. So you are correct. The premature stop codons occur in the third nucleotide within the codon, and they could be anywhere in the gene. 
So uh, my question is, do you only need a, a fairly limited vocabulary, as it were, of of these agents to correct the codon to attract all of the potential nonsense mutations? Well, it's a little bit more complex than that. If you think of genetic diseases of the eye, one of the key components is making sure that delivery of the drug to the eye is safe and effective for use in that application. The profile of that molecule might be different than a case like cystic fibrosis, where restoring the chloride transporter all around the body is the focus of the disease. And that would be different, again, from syndromes where it's primarily a CNS manifestation and you want to be able to have the drug penetrate uh, into the nervous system. So one part of it is being able to address read-through. The second part is having molecules with the desired properties for the proposed therapeutic application. So there's a couple different levels of selection there, but we're confident that within our library, we have one or more additional compounds that will allow us to tackle um, additional rare or ultra-rare diseases. And if you're looking for a, a clear signal that, that this is working, how soon do you think you might have that? Well, we're very encouraged. Um, this upcoming week, we'll be at the European Cystic Fibrosis um, meeting and presenting two oral presentations on preclinical models. One is called human bronchial epithelial cells, and these have been used traditionally by Vertex and others to screen for drugs with appropriate activity, and also a late-breaking abstract on activity and organoids. Now, organoids are really taking on an important personalized medicine position within cystic fibrosis. Stem cells are harvested from patients with cystic fibrosis, and the nonprofit group The Hub in Utrecht has demonstrated that when the organoids are stimulated with forskolin, that if the chloride channel is not working, the organoids cannot swell, so they look like a deflated balloon. However, if a drug is administered that allows the chloride transporter to begin working, then the balloons inflate, and you can see that there's a swelling activity in the organoids. Well, based on the work of the hub, it's viewed today that the activity in the organoids is reasonably predictive of what happens on the clinical endpoints in clinical trials, so that new data we're presenting on organoids we think is really quite exciting and it's very encouraging for the potential of ELXO2 as the first read-through drug to show activity in organoids to represent a potential um, opportunity to treat these uh, nonsense mutations, which are the last great helmet medical need within cystic fibrosis. Bob Ward, CEO of ELOX Pharmaceuticals. Bob, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and
performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.